What are the most frequently asked questions by non-Christians about the Bible and Christianity? Stay tuned as an expert in apologetics reveals the questions and responds to them. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. I am delighted to have Eric Barger back with us for the third week. Uh, Eric is a specialist in Christian apologetics, which is a technical way of saying that he is an expert in defending the faith. And I'm also glad to have my colleague Nathan Jones here with me once again to help me interview Eric. Nathan is our web minister and also serves with me as an associate evangelist. Eric, welcome back to Christ and Prophecy. Thank you, David. Glad to be here. We really are blessed to have you with us and appreciate you taking the time out from your schedule to be here. Nathan, you are in a role that's very similar to Eric's uh, here at Lamb and Lion. As our web minister, you're bombarded with questions all day long, every day. And I assume that due to the nature of our ministry, most of them relate to Bible prophecy. They do. Uh, But I'm sure you receive others as well. So what would you say are the uh, most frequent questions that you receive from unbelievers or or just the most frequent questions? Okay. Well, for unbelievers, there's two groups. There's those who come across something that we put out and they really want to know our position. And then tends to be a bigger group. The second group, they just want to attack. They want to attack what we believe. Uh, For those who really want to know the Bible, they want to understand the biblical supports. They want to know, how can you trust the Bible is God's Word? Uh, The second one is they want to know about the creation. How can we believe that God created the universe? And for unbelievers that are attacking, usually it's, is God also bloody? What's with all those sacrifices? What's all that blood about? And the fourth one is, you can't use the Bible to defend it. What are some extra-biblical references to the Bible that proves the Bible's God's Word? Okay, well, that's a pretty good list right there. Yeah, it's about four. Okay, and how about you? Well, there's several of them, and I, I appreciate the one Nathan uh, brought up there at the end because, you know, the idea of using the Bible to, you know, quoting a section of the Bible then quoting another section is not circular reasoning because it's different authors in different time periods. So, 66 books, That's right. right. We've, we've said this before on other programs, but a couple of questions I came up with were, uh, how can you believe the Bible? It has errors in it. It's been doctored. It's been added to incrementally. We hear all those uh, kinds of questions, and, you know, a lot of people that want to argue with you. Um, I don't have a lot of time for that, but somebody who really wants the truth, I'll go the extra mile to try Amen, to give brother. them the answers, Amen. you know. Another one would be, Christianity is way too narrow, you know. Uh, Jesus claims to be the only way to heaven, or you claim that about Him. Uh, aren't all religions equal? And so, I get the question about universalism a lot, you know, that people want to want to put uh, Jesus on par with uh, Muhammad, Buddha, and the rest. Uh, another one would be, uh, bad things happen to good people. You say God's a God of love. Well, how could that be? I get that one often. Definitely and uh, shouldn't science be the way we decide what's truth? hear that a lot. And of course, that, that always comes back to the idea that evolution would trump, Christi- uh, trump uh, creationism or Christianity and the, the story that we have. Well, I think from, from Christians, uh, the thing I get is, wait a second, um, do I have to believe all those doctrines to be a Christian? You know, yeah. had a gentleman come up to me one time, not long ago, 
and say, you know, uh, I'm a Christian, but I believe in that virgin birth business. And I said to him, I said, you know, it's a free country and you can believe what you want to believe, but I can't call you my brother in the Lord if you don't think Jesus was born of a virgin. Because if he wasn't, we're still lost. And why are we bothering to go to church? We need to be figuring out who the Messiah is because I guess it wasn't Jesus if he wasn't born of a virgin. So there are some things that are non-negotiables and things I can't uh, budge on. And there are a lot of things that we can agree to disagree on. But the, the, the essentials of the faith that are shown to us in the great creeds of the faith, those are the things that are the essentials. And a lot of people just don't want to believe those things. I'd also add, and this is probably one of the biggest one from Christians, is must I worship God on Saturday? They are really confused about should they be dropping Christmas and Easter and having to worship on on Jewish holidays and Saturdays. Interesting. I almost used that one, too. Okay. You know, and and yeah. a minute ago, I thought about maybe just bringing it up, you know, extemporaneously. But well, then you can answer it, man. No, I get that all the time. <laughs> no, I, I think I'm out of time, actually. And I <laughs> <laughs> Well, I tell you what, fellas, I've been, I've been making notes while you all have been talking, and we've got quite a list here. So... Um, we're going to uh, just pause here for a moment, and uh, we're going to talk about uh, one of the uh, materials, uh, resources that we've produced by this ministry, and then we'll come back, and I'm going to put your feet to the fire, and we're going to start talking about these questions and see what kind of answers you can come up with. Where will the Antichrist come from? Will he be a Jew or a Gentile? Dr. David Reagan's book, The Man of Lawlessness, The Antichrist in the Tribulation, answers these and other questions such as, could he be a Muslim? Is he alive today? Will he be killed and resurrected? Where will his headquarters be located? Will he actually control the whole world? Will he be possessed by Satan? And will Christians have to face him? Dr. Reagan discusses these compelling topics and even enlists 22 Bible prophecy experts to give their unique perspectives on them. You will not want to miss this opportunity to survey the career of the Antichrist during the coming tribulation. To get your copy of The Man of Lawlessness, The Antichrist in the Tribulation, Call the number you see on the screen, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central Time, and ask for it by name. Or go to our website at lamblion.com. It is available for a gift of $15 or more, plus shipping. This would make a great gift for your pastor or church library. Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy. I'm in the process of interviewing our special guest, Eric Barger, who is a specialist in the field of apologetics, which refers to the defense of the faith. And I'm also interviewing our web minister, Nathan Jones, because he is constantly involved in answering questions both about Bible prophecy and the Christian faith in general. Okay, fellas, let's get to the questions. The first one I want to throw at you is one that you raised, uh, Eric, and that is about doctrine. Uh, you said people are always asking you, do I really have to believe what the church teaches about this or that or whatever? Do I really have to believe in the virgin birth or the resurrection? How important is doctrine and what is the problem with doctrine in the church today? Well, the church in general, especially here in America, has switched to preaching a self-help here and now gospel, more a self-improvement gospel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we've, we've substituted uh, marriage seminars, nothing wrong with that, or financial seminars, nothing wrong with that. But we slap a scripture on top and call it the gospel. Something's wrong with that. Our people need to hear the doctrines of the faith. It'll be those doctrines that will see them through tough times 
And it was those doctrines that the apostles taught again and again and again and again. So the whole church knew what they believed. They weren't dependent on necessarily going to say to the pastor, what do we believe about this? They knew what they believed because they'd heard it over and over. We need to return to sound doctrinal preaching that prepares the church to understand the basis of Christianity. Uh, Too often I've heard pastors succumb to the idea that uh, the latest, greatest, newest book with a workbook that we've all got to buy for everybody in the church to go through to spend the next six months working on a workbook rather than working on the book. Let's come back and look at what the what the scripture says. And you know there are non-negotiables, mm-hmm. and there are things in there, like I said earlier, that are negotiable that we don't all have to agree right. on this, this the same way. And doesn't mean that the doctrines, uh, that peripheral doctrines, as I call them, aren't important. Yeah. But there are heaven and hell issues that we can't budge on. And they would, of course, be outlined in the creeds of the faith. How about it, Nathan? What, what's your ideas about doctrine, the importance of doctrine? Well, we've taken this word doctrine and made it to be a bad word. Mm-hmm. And it's not. I mean, it's what we believe. I mean, how do we understand sin unless we study hamartiology? How do we understand salvation unless we study soteriology? You know, how do we understand how churches work and function without ecclesiology? I mean, all these are big words that can be kind of scary, but this is categorizing what we believe. And we need to understand what we believe so we can defend against the attacks that come from Satan and unbelievers all the time. Well, the public opinion polls of Christians, even born-again people who say, I'm a born-again Christian, a Bible-believing, fundamental-type Christian, the polls are showing incredible ignorance concerning doctrine. Uh, people uh, who claim to be born again saying that they believe Jesus sinned, uh, that they don't see why it's so important to believe in the resurrection or to believe in the virgin birth. The fundamentals of the faith, we're not talking about peripherals here, but they don't understand why that's important. Yeah, they think the Holy Spirit's an it rather than oh, a third person of the Trinity, you know. It's and, and if you ask them to defend the virgin birth or defend the resurrection, it would just... yeah. What would they say? Yeah, and, and the resurrection of Christ, if He didn't raise from the grave physically, and yeah. this is one that's attacked all the time, if He didn't raise physically, we are still, He wasn't the Savior if well, He didn't come out of the grave physically. I was in a conversation recently where somebody mentioned so-and-so, and I said, yeah, but you, they said, He said that. And I said, yeah, but He's not a Christian. They said, what do you mean He's not a Christian? He's a bishop of a church. Who are you to judge Him? I said, I have every right to judge Him by what He believes and how He lives and so forth. And I'm telling you right now, He's not a Christian. They said, well, how can you say that? I said, because He denies the resurrection. I said, you can stand in a garage and say you're a car, but that will make you a car. That's right. And, and, and this guy says he's a Christian and denies the resurrection. He is not a Christian. You cannot be a Christian and deny the resurrection. But we have this being taught in seminaries and Bible, Bible schools. We have the spiritual resurrection of Christ being taught all over and over again. This is the kind of stuff that our new seminarians and prospective pastors for the future are, are being taught. And yet the Apostle Paul said, if Jesus was not resurrected from the dead, we have no hope. That's right. We are of all men most miserable. Exactly. The First Corinthians 15 is the great resurrection chapter. We have 500 eyewitnesses that saw him alive after he was dead. Uh, we have better proof that he's alive than the fact that we're in this building today. And that raises another question that I hear so often today, of, uh, from, even from Christians, particularly from Christians. Well, the Apostle Paul said that. I only believe what Jesus said. I'm, I'm a red-letter Christian. Jesus never spoke out against homosexuality or condemned. Only Paul did. That's Paul's personal opinion. 
How do you deal with that? Well, the Apostle Paul, obviously, they, they want to take just the four Gospels and only parts of them. <laughs> they wouldn't want to take Matthew 24 and Luke 21. You wouldn't want to look at, at Mark 13, the prophetic parts. You, know, you wouldn't want that, and you wouldn't want what Jesus said in the book of Revelation. So they discount Acts, all the epistles, the book of Revelation, take only those four Gospels. And we, we see who they are. We see the people who are advocating this. They're right dead smack right in the middle of the emergent church movement. They come out yeah. of the liberal background that they can pick and choose from the Bible what they want out of it instead of taking it all as God's revelation to us. You know, a liberal theologian once said that he believed the, the Bible was a divine mailbox and where he could receive messages from God. No, it is the message, and it ain't no pick and choose. <laughs> this, it's Criswell, all or nothing. Yeah. W.A. Criswell, who was pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas for many, many years before he went home to be with the Lord, used to talk about leopard theologists. A leopard theology. And I said, what, what does that mean? He said, well, the, uh, a leopard theologian is one who, who believes the Bible is only inspired in spots. And he knows which spots. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) The spots he agrees with. That's that's right. That's it. You know, we take up what we like and discount what we don't. Plus, Jesus talked about marriage and sexual purity. So that covers homosexuality right there. Yeah, it really does. And whether Jesus mentions it or not, the scriptures are clear from the Old and New Testament. This has nothing to do with how much we love and have compassion for every person, no matter what their sin might be. But uh, God wants to set people free, and thank God He is setting people free of all kinds of sin, just not uh, pet sins that people say, oh, murders, you know, that's terrible. So certainly that, that mm-hmm. person needs Okay, God. how about the attack that uh, Christians are just too narrow-minded. They're not tolerant enough. This is an age of tolerance. We should embrace everybody, love everybody. Your opinion is as good as my opinion. Even among so-called evangelicals today, there is some of this of saying, well, there's not really any absolute truth. Your truth is as good as my truth. What about that? Did you call me narrow-minded? <laughs> if you did, praise the Lord, brother. You have got it. You know, I, I'm pretty polarized. Well, Jesus must have been pretty narrow-minded. He said there's no other road to God except through Him. I guess so. He didn't say me and Buddha and Confucius are the way, the truth, and the life. He said I am the only way. And, and that's the key is that, that uh, we, you know, we want to be conciliatory. We want to be loving. We want to reach out to people. In the process, we can't let the values that the Scripture teaches us, the doctrinal beliefs, we can't let those things go by the by. And that's what's happened to us. It's happening in evangelical circles exactly like it did 100 to 150 years ago in who used to be the evangelicals and who now today we could call them the liberals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's exact, And liberals, we're not talking politics. We're talking about those who claim to be Christians but don't believe the gospel like the, the bishop you mentioned a minute yeah. ago. Well, you know, one of the fastest growing uh, beliefs in Christendom today all across the board in all denominations is the idea that there are many different roads to God. What about it? Well, you got to look at the people who are claiming tolerance and are saying all roads lead to God. Usually they don't believe in anything. They, they're the most tolerant because they don't have any true faith that they believe in, so they're just kind of hoping that it all leads there somewhere. They kind of have an agnostic view that there is a God and that hopefully they'll be going to heaven one day and they've got their bases covered. So that's, to well, me, it's... It, it seems to me like when they're saying that, though, and they're claiming to be Christians, that what they're basically doing is loving Mormons and Hindus and Muslims right into hell. 
And it shows they're very confused about their belief in Christ too. They, they, maybe they really don't believe it so that they have to say, well, all these other groups. And you're right, by not saying what the truth is. See, when we're, we're narrow-minded, that's a compliment like Eric said. Because what we're saying is, this is not us. This isn't us. This is God. And God says that He sent His that's Son right. to die for our sins. And if we believe in Him, we will be saved. God is giving us a life preserver. He's throwing a life preserver out. Right. We Praise the Lord, we got a life preserver. We need to grab it and pull it and be rescued. But we can't be swimming out there. Ocean, they th- God throws us a life preserver, and we push away. Oh no, no! Send us a green one, or yeah. send us a square one, or I'll just swim forever. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't work. Praise the Lord, we've got a God who wants us to be saved, and He gives us a means of being saved. Eric, what about this many roads to God? Well, David, in the church today, we have something called reconciling uh, mm-hmm. universalism, which believes or teaches that when Jesus went to the cross, He died for the sins of the whole world, which the Bible says but that everybody is now saved without faith. And the Bible says you've got to have faith to please God. Mm -hmm. So they take parts of scriptures, pet scriptures out of context, and they they teach that everybody's going to be saved in the end. They sort of ignore that Jesus said the road to hell is very wide and the one that's proper is very narrow. Forget Matthew chapter 7, (laughs) verses 13, 14, and 15, right on the spot, exactly where Jesus said there was a a narrow gate and a wide gate, you know, and and this is what's going on. And that's the kind of universalism that I see Christians espousing more often than not. And we, we need to be aware, you know, when Jesus said He was the only way, that was because He loved people. Not just because he wanted to give us something to buttress an argument so we could beat somebody up with it. Exactly. This isn't about us being right or winning an argument with an atheist or with a new age or whatever. This is about trying to tell them, trying to explain to them what the Bible says so that then they can consider the claims of who Jesus is and what he did and consider him as Savior and Lord. I always think about the Ten Commandments and how God gave those for the purpose of helping us to have a very fulfilled life. And yet people tend to look upon those as some arbitrary God who's just trying to keep me from having fun. Uh, I want to be free. I want to do what I want to do. So what do they do? They go out and get hooked on drugs. How free are they? Not at all. No, <laughs> Isn't it sad I, that the I Bible for one remember. I know. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it sad that the heart is desperately wicked? And really, I think that the basis of all this view that oh, you know, we need to tolerate and embrace everyone's sin, and we're all going to heaven. There's no judgment. Is because we want to be sinful. We want to live out our desires, and so we come up with all these philosophies that will support our desire to rebel against God. If there's anything I'd say to somebody who's watching, who's examining Christianity, trying to figure out if it's the way is to go and examine the claims of Jesus Christ, not based on the, the teachings of any particular church. Examine who He said He was. Examine what happened to the disciples, uh, especially the, the despair they showed and the way Peter cowered the, the night before the, the, the crucifixion. And then look at the resurrection power that was visited upon them afterward. That's what Jesus does for people. He changes lives. He changed us sitting here. We weren't born Christians. We might have come from from Christian homes or homes that had other Christians in it, but we weren't born that way. We, we came to Christ based on what He did and His claims, and that's what we're trying to get people to see, just not that we're so right and they're so wrong. Okay, let's come back in just a moment with the question you just raised. Who was Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ today? Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy. We're talking about questions that both Christians and non-Christians most frequently ask about Christianity and about the Bible. 
Eric, I want to go back to the point that you raised right before our break there, and that is, uh, uh, who is Jesus? This is a question that both Christians and non-Christians struggle with. Who was, was he just a man? Was he a great prophet? Uh, who was Jesus, and who is he? The scriptures teach he was fully God and fully man. God of the flesh. Uh, that's right. And he came and, and fulfilled the many, many prophecies that the Messiah had to fulfill to have been called Messiah. He is the one that the Jews are looking for. He is the one that the Gentiles are looking for. He is the Savior of all men who would come to Him. And He said the same. He said, for God so loved the world, He sent His only begotten Son. This is what we have in Scripture. This is what the Scripture speaks about Him, that whosoever believeth in Him would never perish but have eternal life. That's the Jesus we serve. He is God incarnate and the one who fulfilled all those passages. Who lived a perfect life, who never sinned, and therefore, when he died, he did not die for his sins. He died for our sins. Our sins were placed upon him. His righteousness was transferred to those who believe. But he had to die for the sins of mankind to reconcile us with God. Now, that raises another question that people always throw at Christians. Why do you have a belief in such a bloody religion? It's so. In fact, there was a, a woman in New York City just recently who is the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in New York City who called a press conference and said, I'm fed up with the bloody religion of Christianity. She's a graduate of Baylor University, as a matter of fact. She said, I'm fed up with this religion. And she said, uh, I have decided that uh, we're just going to take all the songs out of the songbook that refer to blood. I'm not going to preach about blood. I thought, well, you're going to have to change the name of your church. It's, you know, Calvary, it refers to the... <laughs> That's so, right. But, you know, here is a Christian leader saying this. What is it about the blood? Well, uh, the blood's the offense to the devil. I believe that is the most uh, feared weapon in the arsenal of the Christian. (laughs) I really do. I believe the blood because it's the demarcation line between death and life. It's where our sins are paid for, and it's the difference between Satan having control over each and every human and, and those who will follow Jesus being saved because of His precious blood sacrifice. And by the way, the emergent church hates the blood. They, they want a relationship with God, but no bloody cross between us and God. I notice in the Mormon religion, they will not have a cross anywhere. <laughs> cross is offensive. Well, they, they believe Jesus sweat blood in Gethsemane. Oh. Well, Hebrews 9.22, I think, tells us, it says, According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood... There is no remission of sin. In other words, we have to have something sacrificed on our behalf. So like the Old Testament, yes, they had lots of animal sacrifices, but those animals died in the place of the people for a temporary covering until Jesus finally, the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And that isn't a bloody religion. That's a a religion of love where God would give up his own blood so that we could be saved. It's not a religion of death and destruction, but a religion of love and grace. I said Gethsemane a minute ago, and I want to clarify that because somebody will hear that and not get the whole picture. We believe that that happened too, but they never talk about the cross in Mormonism. That's the only place that the blood of Jesus is spoken about inside Mormonism when he sweat great drops of blood. Well, uh, I wanted to go back to some of the statements that we run across all the time and just get your reactions off the top of your head on these. Um, People are always writing in and saying, how can a Christian support the death penalty at the same time be opposed to abortion? Any, any <laughs> great, great silence. <laughs> well, we stand for, for innocent life. Yeah. And yet in the case of the death penalty, this is a completely different deal. This is not about innocent life. In, in the case of a baby, this is innocent life we stand for. It's, it's a totally, I think it's a moot point and one that, that the atheist agnostic would love to throw at us. Yeah, but it's legal it's two jargon. Different, two it's... different things. Well, and it's interesting too from a, from a Christian viewpoint that the uh, death penalty was, con, uh, was commanded by God in the uh, 
covenant he made with Noah, which is an everlasting covenant. That covenant is still in effect today. And he said, you know, that if they take a life, their life is to be taken. So this is something that even the Bible, uh, and then people say, well, that's overridden by the New Testament because the New Testament's all about love. It didn't override the covenant with Noah. That covenant is still in effect. Uh, but you're right. One is uh, we're talking about a completely innocent life. Uh, well, here's another one. How can Christianity condone, uh, condemn homosexuality and at the same time eat shrimp? I mean, people bring these things up all the time. Oh, atheists love that one because they're saying, well, why aren't you sacrificing your children if they do this or that? Or why aren't you eating shrimp or mixing your threads? But we don't live under the Mosaic Law anymore. God, In fact, the Mosaic Law was given only to the Jews. Only to the Jews, exactly. And a lot of them is because they were traveling through the desert oh, in yeah. very hostile situations, and they were slaves. They didn't know how to live out in the desert. They need to know cleanliness, and they need how to drink certain waters, eat certain things so they won't get sick and die. And that applied to them. But when Jesus came, the Old Testament law was replaced by love the Lord your God and love your neighbor, and we live by that grace today. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's a, it's a matter of looking at the Old Testament, understanding the reasons for what was happening mm-hmm. there and who it was written to, and then looking at the New Testament and seeing the grace and mercy of God. And that well, covers the question about people asking if they should be worshiping on Saturday or not Christmas or Easter. Under that grace, we no longer have to worship on one particular day. We're to worship God every moment of every day. So we fulfill the law, but we are free from the bond of that law. We can yeah. worship God on Christmas and Easter. We don't have to worship on the, the our Jewish holidays because God gives us that freedom. I, I say if it's Tuesday morning or Thursday night, Saturday's fine, whatever day you pick, but don't tell us that we have to worship a particular day for us to be saved because that's the bottom line of that. It becomes mm-hmm. my works that my works have something to do with my salvation. And, and it's not to, about me, yeah. it's about what Jesus did for me. My works can't save me. And they just need to get it right. It's not Saturday. It's from Friday sunset to Saturday <laughs> that's, sunset that's, if they really well, want to get legalistic. Right. I, I get letters of condemnation all the time, from uh, primarily from Seventh-day Adventists who talk about, well, you're going straight to hell because you don't worship on uh, Saturday and so forth. And my response to them always is the same. I say, go read chapter 14 of Romans. Just read the chapter. It says that we have the freedom in Christ. I mean, it says this point blank. The freedom Christ to give spiritual significance to any day we please or not to. And we're not to judge one another on that. So if I want to give spiritual significance to Christmas, that's my business. If you don't want to, that's your business. But I don't have any right to condemn you, and you don't have any right to condemn me. Amen. That's right. It, Amen. This is not a heaven and hell issue. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, Paul Good elsewhere point. says uh, that all those old celebrations have been done away with. Mm-hmm. He makes that very clear. Uh, by the way, I have read that in the Seventh Day Adventist Church where I was preaching one time many, many years ago. And um, <laughs> they didn't it, invite you back. Well, I'm sure. it, they didn't invite me back, but they they kind of looked at me funny and shook their heads like, "Well, it is a scripture," you know. <laughs> Oh, mate. Well, uh, we pretty well covered our uh, list here. We, boy, we had a lot of questions. I guess there's still a few that we could uh, uh, get into. Anything in particular come to your mind that uh, we didn't, uh, bad things happen to good people? That once again, we live behind uh, enemy lines. We live in a fallen creation. Sure bad do. stuff's going to happen to good people, and good stuff's going to happen to bad people. People say, well, that's not fair. Why isn't God doing anything about this? Well, have we forgotten that we still have Satan loose on the earth? I mean, that's right. That is the key right there. And in fact, we are pretty well guaranteed in Scripture that if we really give our heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be persecuted. Yeah. It's not going to be a, ro- a, guard, uh, you know, a, a bed of roses. There's going to be trials, there's going to be tribulations, there's going to be persecution. 
But we have to keep the big picture in mind. This lifespan of ours is 100 years yeah. or less. All of human history is 6,000 years plus another 1,000 for the millennial kingdom. But we have eternity with God in wow. perfection forever. So, yeah, it's rough at this time, and, and certainly. I mean, they killed Jesus, so it was rough for even Jesus being here. But we have an eternity to look forward where we do not have to suffer. You know, guys, if, um, if someone watching... Uh, thinks they if they come to Christ, everything's going to be great. Bed of roses, 72 degrees. It's going to be just wonderful. Everything's going to be great. You know, for, in some that, ways. We, you know, too many uh, places in the church we hear that kind of story being taught. You know, oh, if you just come to Christ today, he'll, he has a great plan for your life. Health and wealth. Wait a second. You know, you might go through lots of trials, and I guarantee you, the older I get, the more I know that we're going to see uh, uh, all kinds of, of stuff happen that, that's disconcerting to us. We're going to mm-hmm. lose loved ones, etc., etc. This I know. I can handle anything that comes my way if I've got Jesus. It's called living by faith. That's right. Yes. It's, it's not about what Jesus is going to do for you and the great plan he has for, for your life. That could very well be true. But it's about my faith and my trust are put in Him so that I know my eternity has been settled. Oh, man, I was a decision counselor once. We had a guy come down. He wanted to be saved. He was blind. And he only wanted to get saved if God could cure him of his sight. And I said, well, I can't heal you of your vision, but I can pray that the Lord, and just, you know, explain that salvation isn't about physical. It's about the spiritual walk he'll have with Jesus, all the benefits of that. He stood up and with his cane walked away. He he wouldn't have God unless he healed him. I don't know if God ever did heal him again. But to think that he, he that was the stumbling block. And for a lot of people, the suffering in their life, either that's the stumbling block or they use it to stumble their faith and be mad at God. Way too many preachers today preach, you know, come to Christ, everything's going to be fine. We, we've lied to somebody when we say that. Yes. Yes, and that can never be the reason that somebody comes to Christ. It's all about eternity. Well, folks, that's our program for this week. I want to thank Eric and Nathan for participating in this program, and I want to thank you for viewing it. I hope you'll be back with us next week. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus.